0: Joe Biden lays out his quest to save the soul of the nation. Other Democrats tear into Trump voters. And Michael Moore won't be riding an exercise bike anytime soon. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. That Michael Moore line right there, that actually is not really a joke. He actually says he's not going to ride an exercise bike anymore. To which the question becomes, what? Was that ever a thing? (laughs) Don't you have to ride it once to not ride it again? But in any case... We'll, we'll get to the news in just one second. First, let's talk about how you need a suit that actually does fit you. You can go to the department store. You can pick up a suit. And the truth is, it'll probably hang off you like a curtain. Instead, what you need is a suit that is made to measure for you, a suit that is made to order for you, just like James Bond. You want a suit that makes you look awesome. And this is where Indochino comes in. I know because I have an Indochino suit. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements. Your Indochino suit, it's made for you. They have attention to detail. It beats any department store. If you're in the middle of planning a wedding, actually, this is really good. They have a lot of options for people looking to outfit their wedding party. So here's how it works. You can visit one of their showrooms. Indochino has over 40 showrooms in North America. A stylist will then take your measurements personally. I've done this before. I went down to Santa Monica and said this is really terrific. It does make you feel like you're on Seville Row in in London or something. It's really awesome. You can measure it at home. Otherwise, and shop online at Indochino.com. You can choose all the personalizations, the fabric, inside and out, lapel, lining buttons, you can even write your own monogram. Indochino professionally tailors your suit and then mails it to you in just a couple of weeks. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That is 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro for any premium suit, 369 and free shipping. Incredible deal. Premium made-to-measure suit. Doesn't get better than that going to be much better than anything you get off the rack. Once you go custom, you don't go back. Go check them out, Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro. Okay, so right now, the question as to whether President Trump is reelected is largely not about Trump. Trump is just what Trump is. And as we'll see, that ain't changing for both good and ill. And when it comes to winning suburban women, when it comes to winning the swing states, the polls show that President Trump's personality Contrary to the popular opinion on the right, his personality is not going to help him win the election. His personality is a real detriment to him in the 2020 election. There's a new poll out from, new- from, from Pennsylvania. This is a state that he actually needs to win. And contrary to popular opinion, he is just getting blown up in Pennsylvania. His Pennsylvania poll numbers are awful. The, the current Pennsylvania poll numbers have him underwater by nearly 20 points in terms of favorable and unfavorable. Trump, 39 favorable, 58% unfavorable, 52% strong unfavorable. Only 38% of people in Pennsylvania say that Trump deserves re-election. 61% say that it's time for a change. Now, maybe that changes once the Democrats pick their person. And this is what Trump is hoping. And so this is why I say the 2020 election is not going to be really about whether Trump can change his stripes because he ain't changing. And I think that everybody knows this at this point. We can be very hopeful about his character and how he chooses to feature it in the campaign. And then we can be realistic, which is that he's going to tweet out dumb stuff. He's going to say things that offend a lot of people. He's going to hit some of the right targets, and the right will cheer. But he's not going to win over anybody new unless he is able to downplay the aspects of his personality that so many people find off-putting. And right now, that's a problem for him. It's a serious problem for him, as we'll see. So the Democrats then are left with a choice. And the choice is, are we going to be fully crazy? Are we going to let Trump drive us nuts? Are we going to castigate anybody who ever voted for Trump as evil and terrible? Are we going to castigate current-day Trump voters, people who are thinking about voting for Trump in 2020? Are we going to castigate those people as racists and white supremacists who don't care about racism, as people who don't care about shootings at El Paso Walmarts? Or are we going to restrict our fire just to the candidate on the other side? And this is largely the divide between Joe Biden and the rest of the left. It's why Joe Biden in all of the national polls does pretty well against President Trump. And it's why Trump is basically running even with every other Democrat. Because Biden apparently is the only Democrat in the race who seems to have any sort of understanding that you can't just alienate half of the American population by calling them white supremacists and then hope to win the presidency. You can't just call everybody deplorable and then hope to win. Now, do I think that Biden will be able to maintain that stance? I have my doubts. I think that he might slide right back into what the rest of the Democrats have been saying. But Trump's greatest hope lies in the Democrats showing their true stripes showing their true stripes. His best hope lies in the Democrats revealing that what they actually believe is the same sort of stuff as the radical left, and that really the two are tied at the hip. That's why Trump has worked so hard to try and make the squad the face of the Democratic Party as opposed to, for example, Joe Biden. It's why every time the Democrats decide to go crazy and do a crazy thing, Trump features it. Because the more radical Democrats appear, the more people may be willing to overlook Trump's personal foibles and personality quirks, to say the least, and character flaws and vote for him just because the Democrats are so alienating. So we bring you the most alienating Democratic talking point of the day. So this started a couple of days ago when Joaquin Castro decided that it would be a wonderful idea to simply post the names and addresses, not not addresses, mean—but the names and workplaces and and careers of people in his district who had donated to President Trump. And then he said, oh, it wasn't meant to intimidate. It wasn't meant to intimidate all of these people. It was just meant to shame them, really. Okay, obviously, it was meant as an intimidation tactic. It was really ugly. It was really disgusting. And in today's political environment, it was unjustifiable on any level, which is why Joaquin Castro couldn't justify it. He appeared on MSNBC, and he had no good comeback to, dude, you're actually putting people in danger. You're putting people's faces in front of other people who want to hurt them for supporting the current president of the United States. As it turns out, Joaquin Castro is also an idiot. Six of the Trump donors that Joaquin Castro tried to shame also gave money to him and his brother Julian, according to the Washington Examiner. According to the Examiner, in attempting to embarrass constituents who donated to President Trump, Texas Congressman Joaquin Castro appears to have overlooked the fact that six of those he named also gave cash to him and his twin brother, 2020 Democrat Julian Castro. Shocker. So, this all started a couple of days ago, right? Julian Castro did this. And then Joe Scarborough came out and said, This is a great idea. We need to shame everyone who ever gave to Trump. If you gave to Trump at any point in the recent past, any time, then this means that you are a white supremacist who doesn't care if people get shot in an El Paso Walmart for being Latino. And this is the pitch. And many members of the media started parroting this. Well, there's nothing wrong with all this. Nick Confessori, a reporter at the New York Times, started actually tweeting out yesterday the the associations between companies and their shareholders. Why? Because yesterday there was a big blow up, a big blow up about exercise bikes. Now you ask yourself, what the hell does exercise bikes have anything to do with anything? Well, good thing you asked. I will tell you. According to Fox News, Stephen Ross, owner of the NFL's Miami Dolphins, fired back Wednesday at critics of President Trump defending his plans to host a fundraiser for Trump on Friday at his Hamptons home on New York's Long Island. Trump himself is expected to attend the event at which donors can have their photo taken with the president for hundred dollars or attend a private roundtable discussion with him for $250,000. Okay, so what's the problem? He's just a Trump donor, right? Well, it turns out that he is also the chief investor in Equinox and SoulCycle, which are two fitness brands that are sort of upper end and very trendy among, I'd say, the coastal set. It's funny, there's sort of a hierarchy in Los Angeles in terms of the gyms that are out here, and everybody knows that the gyms are not really ordered by the niceness of their facility, but by the attractiveness of their people. Meaning Equinox and SoulCycle, people who go to Equinox and SoulCycle are the people who bike every day. They do spin classes. They're the people who are the most attractive. A lot of Hollywood stars who's Equinox and SoulCycle, very socially conscious company, meaning an SJW company that likes to virtue signal about LGBT issues, for example. Very, very social justice-oriented, left-leaning company in terms of its corporate practices, Equinox. And soul Cycle. And then if you go all the way down on the scale, like Gold's Gym out here, that's for people who are sort of meatheads who lift a lot and sometimes do steroids. And then you've got like the YMCA, which is for the people who really don't have any other place to work out. And you got like the 24-hour fitness, which is like everybody, kind of a broad spectrum, but mainly people who barely have time after work and buy a fitness regimen and then don't actually go and show up. So Equinox and soul Cycle is like the top of the food chain for gyms in Los Angeles. Now, the left has now called for a boycott of equinox and soul cycle. So they're not gonna go to their spin classes to beat the to, to harm the cons or something. So we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna hurt the cons by not going to Soul Cycle. Fine, don't go to your spin class. See if I care. Why would I possibly care whether you go to your spin class? And by the way, if you actually think that Steven Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins and is worth probably a billion dollars or more, that he deeply cares whether you go to his spin class that he doesn't associate with? He doesn't. Yeah, this is idiotic. But this became a thing yesterday when a bunch of celebrities started tweeting out that they were canceling their Soul Cycle and Equinox memberships, not because Soul Cycle and Equinox support Trump, but because one of the lead investors in Soul Cycle and Equinox supports Trump. Well, if we're going to do this routine, then we're going to have to do corporate name checks on every single major corporation in the United States to determine there are no Trump supporters on the board before the left is allowed to shop there. And I can't imagine anything that's better for the country than having a gym just for the left and a gym for the right, than having coffee shops just for the left and coffee shops just for the right. The political segregation of our society is not a good thing. Common space where we actually see each other and hang out with each other, where we tolerate the fact that there are opposing political views. If we can't do that, it's going to be very difficult for us to live in a republic together. But this is what the left wants. Well, too many members of the left, not everyone, again, there's a difference between the left and liberals. Many liberals think this sort of stuff is stupid. But there are a lot of folks on the left who celebrate this because they're standing up to that Hitler Trump. Anybody who associates with Trump is just a brown shirt hanging out with Hitler. And therefore, we have to... Boy- Would you fund Volkswagen in the middle of the 1930s? Well, Trump isn't Hitler. People who support Trump aren't Nazis. If you think they are, then honestly, you should be the one picking up a gun, presumably, because if Nazis are running rampant across your country and are actually in power... Shouldn't you do something more than boycott soul cycle over it? But apparently, boycotting soul cycle is the way to virtue. What, what this is really about is virtue signaling to your lefty friends, your SJW friends, your woke friends, that you're not gonna stand up. You're, you're not gonna stand with Trump. Right? I'm gonna burn my Equinox shirt. Again, 95% of the people who go to Equinox in Los Angeles voted for Democrats. 95%, I'm sure. And one of the folks who works here. I was talking with her earlier. She used to work at Equinox and she happens to be an immigrant of Mexican origin. And she was tweeting about this last night with some folks. And they immediately ascribed to her white supremacist motivations, which is absurd. And she used to work at Equinox. What she pointed out to people is that when you boycott Equinox, the people who are the first to get hit are not going to be people like Stephen Ross. He's going to make his profit. The people who are the first to get hit are the people who are the janitors, who are cleaning up the gym afterward, who disproportionately are going to be of more impoverished backgrounds and probably disproportionately maybe of immigrant backgrounds. But people on the left don't care about any of this. They only care about the virtue signaling. So you yeah, got Billy Eichner, the actor, uh, he, he tweeted out, hey, Equinox, what's your policy for canceling memberships? Once a member finds out your own owner is enabling racism and mass murder because Trump is enabling racism and mass murder. And thus, anybody who funds Trump is enabling racism and mass murder. That's the idea from Billy Eichner. Okay, then you have Chrissy Teigen, the wife of John Legend, and she, she is a singer, correct? Yeah, model, 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 thank you. Sorry, my, so, my awareness of bubble-headed Hollywood celebrities is a little bit out of date. Chrissy Teigen tweeted out, The gym is my personal hell, but if you're a member of Equinox, perhaps it is time to say peace out. Inox A, I'm still sick. Yes, but F Equinox. So, all the Hollywood celebs are coming out. F Equinox, we're going to cancel our SoulCycle memberships. Michael Moore tweeted out yesterday that he was going to cancel his membership at SoulCycle, which, I mean, the good news is that frees up like three seats at SoulCycle. <laughs> I mean, it, it, this, is, this is all absurd. But not only is it absurd, it's, it's actually very dangerous for the country on a broader level. Now, there's a difference between you cancel your subscription to the New York Times because you don't like the content of the New York Times or you cancel your association with, a, with an organization because the organization's policies are against your principles. There's a difference between that and an investor in the organization holds political principles you don't like. I shop at organizations all the time. So do you. I shop with advertisers all the time, where I am sure that there are members of the board and chief investors in that board who disagree with me politically. That's good for the country because commerce is about the best product being available to the most people for the cheapest possible price. It is not about me pre-screening the politics of people who... Will make money when I go to their store, so long as the store itself is not pursuing evil policies. Like to take that Volkswagen example from the 1930s, Volkswagen was working in concert with the Hitler regime. Hitler designed the VW bug. Even if you think Donald Trump is Hitler, he didn't design the Soul Cycle, guys. But the goal here is, of course, to segregate the population and then to say that if you associate with any member of the other side of the political aisle, that you are, in, in effect, very, very bad. You must be canceled. That's the new language. We got to cancel everything. So we're going to boycott everything. We're going to cancel everything. And then we declare ourselves morally virtuous for having done so. Now, is any of this going to cut in favor of Democrats come 2020? No, it's not. This is the sort of stuff that Trump is hoping for. He likes these culture wars. If you haven't noticed, this is Trump's favorite sort of stuff. Like if Trump really wants to troll today, he should say that he is joining SoulCycle. I mean, we all know he's not going to go there and start bicycling, right? He has a very interesting perspective on exercise as our president. He'll go, I'm going to go there, I'm going to sit on the cycle, just show support. But my life energy, I'm not going to deplete it by moving my legs around like a crazy person. In any case, turning our businesses into battlegrounds over politics when the business itself is not involved in politics is a recipe for divisions in the country and disintegration of the social fabric. It is indeed deeply, deeply stupid in nearly every possible way. We'll get to more of that. But first... I need to talk to you about nutrition. So I've been talking to you about SoulCycle and about fitness. The truth is, go to the gym, get a membership, get more fit. But if you really want to get more fit, if you really want to be more healthy, what you actually need is Noom. Okay, Noom is this fantastic app. I actually have been using it every single day. I started using it maybe three weeks ago. And my goal was to lose maybe five pounds. And in about a month, I've lost about five pounds. I know, I really didn't need to. I was already jacked and cut. But let me just explain to you that Noom, Really helps you get it done, especially if you find it hard to lose weight. It helps you develop specific goals that you want to achieve and then gives you all sorts of information that helps you track calories. They have a great calorie counter. It helps you. It has part of the app allows you to track your weight so you can actually weigh yourself every day and then it keeps track of all that so you can see your trend. It gives you new information every day on your diet tailored to you. They have support groups of people who are doing the same thing that you are doing. It really is fantastic because what Noom is all about is changing your habits. Right? Once you start using the calorie counting app, then presumably you're going to be able to count your calories more easily. It becomes part of your habit, and, and it really becomes almost addictive, which is good. Being addicted to healthier living and dieting is really, really good for you. Noom is based in psychology. They teach you why you do the things you do, arms you with the tools to break the bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy, easy-to-stick-to way of life. You don't have to change it all in one day. That's sort of the theme. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, noom.com slash Shapiro. Visit Noom.com slash Shapiro to start your trial today. That is Noom.com slash Shapiro. It's the last weight loss program you'll need. And I love it. I've recommended it to my parents as well. It's Noom.com slash Shapiro. Go check it out. All right. So the Democrats have two choices, as I said at the outset. Choice number one, go with Chrissy Teigen and go with Billy Eichner. And start doing this, everybody who's on the other side is evil and bad and horrible and wrong and racist and white supremacist and likes shootings. Or you could just critique Trump. Critiquing Trump is actually a pretty rich vein. As it turns out, Trump is not supremely popular with the American people. Now, he's more popular than he was when he was elected. But he would need to see another spike in his popularity to really put him in safe reelect territory. Right now, he's about 42%, 43% in the public approval ratings. If you were in the 48% range, you would be a pretty sure bet for reelect anywhere under 48. And it's at the very least a toss up and maybe favors the other side if you're, if you're Donald Trump. So the Democrats have that choice. And it seems like pretty much every Democrat, except for Booker, I mean, except for Joe Biden, has decided to go with the, the crazies. So you know, So Beto O'Rourke from El Paso, he's going around openly just saying that Trump is a white supremacist. Again, you can critique Trump for a lot of stuff, Trump is not a white supremacist. If you think that Donald Trump wants to establish white nationhood and expel all the black and brown people, expel all the you're in. I mean, this is an insane contention. Trump, Trump says dumb stuff, dumb stuff that very often borders on or crosses over into casual racism. That does not make him a white supremacist. He's not a white supremacist. This is absurd. You've been very clear that you believe the president is a racist. Is the president a white supremacist? He is. He's also made that very clear. He's dehumanize or sought to de- dehumanize those who do not look like or pray like the majority here in this country. He said, I wish we had uh, more immigrants from Nordic countries because those from Haiti bring AIDS. Those from Africa come from shithole nations. Um, he's been very clear about who he prefers to be in this country and who he literally wants to keep out with walls and cages and militarization and torture and cruelty. Okay. that That, that is such an overplay. Nobody in the United States, by poll numbers, there's a percentage, but they're all Democrats. And most people in the middle don't believe that Trump is an actual honest-to-God white supremacist. And that is not something that most people actually believe. The fact that, that folks like Beto are pushing that, that, that's an insane contention. And then Beto goes even further and he says that El Paso is going to happen again if Trump is elected. So I guess that Trump is now in control of all the white supremacists and he's deploying them one by one to Walmarts around the country. And if Trump is reelected, then he's going to really have a field day by, by unleashing them on Hispanic people across the country, according to Crazy Beto. How worried are you that with Donald Trump still in the Oval Office, something like this will inevitably happen again? It will happen again because what happened in El Paso is not an isolated incident. After the president warned of caravans, you had somebody go into the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, um, warning of caravans. Um You had the mosque in Victoria, Texas, burned to the ground on the day that Trump signed his executive order seeking to ban Muslim travel to the United States. So there are very real consequences to his words, to his tweets, um, to to the racism that he fans. Okay, Just j- I'm sorry, this is ridiculous. You can't predict when evil people are going to do evil stuff. There was a white supremacist during the administration of Barack Obama who walked into a Holocaust memorial in Washington, D.C. and tried to shoot it up. There were riots in Ferguson and Baltimore. If Beto can predict events with this sort of accuracy, dude should get in on the stock market and really blow up that fortune of his that he inherited. Because this this is the sort of nonsense. If you elect us, then we'll stop shootings. But the other side is, is this making the rhetoric better? Is this making the country better? Again, we should I've been saying all week, long, I've been saying for years, we should all be able to unify on the notion that white supremacism is evil and that mass shootings are evil. But there are many Democrats like Beto who don't want to do that for political purposes. Cory Booker did this in a softer way yesterday as well. And he drew this binary between agree with me and be a white supremacist supporter. So he's speaking at a historically, I believe it's a historically black church in Charleston, South Carolina. In any case, here was, here was Booker trying to draw a binary between everybody who agrees with Cory Booker, and white supremacists. The real question isn't who is or isn't a racist, but who is and isn't doing something about it. This is a question that has a deep moral resonance. It's not enough to say I'm not a racist. We must be anti-racism. Because there's no neutrality in this fight. You are either an agent of justice or you are contributing to the problem. Okay, one of the problems with what Cory Booker is saying here is that he never defines his terms. So I agree. You either can be anti-racism, like overtly anti-racism, or you can be pro-racism, but there's not really a neutral ground. You can't just be like, I'm kind of ambivalent on racism. Like, you you can't do that, obviously. But when he says do something, what exactly does that mean? Because what are people, quote unquote, doing about it? Does that mean if you don't cancel your SoulCycle membership? today, then you are overtly advocating for racism? Or is what he really means, if you don't back Democrats, then you are a racist. If you don't back Cory Booker, you're racist. If you don't, if you don't rip on Trump daily and declare that you won't vote for him and donate to his opponents, then you are a racist. That is the false binary that, that the left is attempting to draw. And they're attempting to do so in a clever way. They're attempting to do so by refusing to define terms. So I have not said anything racist. I've not done anything racist because I'm not a racist. In fact, I hate racism and I hate white supremacists so much that they hate me right back, which is why we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year here at this company to defend us from death threats from white racists, from white supremacists. But I would be, according to people like Booker and people like presumably AOC, a white supremacist because I have expressed support for many of Donald Trump's policies and because I don't think that Trump is a white supremacist. So what the left likes to do is throw out terms like white supremacists without actually defining them, just like they wouldn't define alt-right back in 2015, 2016. The alt-right was a threat in 2015 and 2016. They happen to be disgusting today, but there's an actual definition as to what alt-right means. It is the ideology of folks like Richard Spencer. It's the ideology of folks like Vox Day, people who have suggested that there is innate biological difference between the races such that some races are inferior and some races are superior. Right. That is the that is the nature of white supremacy. That is a definition that I just gave you. But what the left refuses very often to do is provide definitions of any of this stuff because they don't want definitions. What they want is a broad miasmatic sense, like a miasma. They want a broad sense of what white supremacy is without having to define it. So they can label you a white supremacist if you disagree with them on anything. That is the goal. Specificity in terms is really helpful when you're having political conversations or moral conversations, because then we can get to what we agree on and what we disagree on. So, for example, I do not think that it is white supremacy to oppose affirmative action. In fact, I think it is racist to be in, f- in favor of, a, of a, any program that benefits one race at the expense of another race and is designed to do so. But according to members of the left, it would be, quote unquote, white supremacy, presumably to oppose affirmative action. If you support Trump in 2020 because you like his policies and you don't think that Trump is a racist, you just think that he is a a muddle headed dolt who says doltish things and clottish things on a regular basis in the racial realm. Right. If, if, If you're one of those people, the left will declare you a white supremacist, even if you speak out forcefully every time you think Trump crosses the line. So the point here is that for the left, the construction of a debate between white supremacy And everything else is all about obfuscating the line between white supremacy and everything else. If we don't know where the line is, then I can put you on the other side of the line anytime I want. So a perfect example of that yesterday. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez puts out this long tweet thread about white supremacy. And she is deliberately defining white supremacy down. She's deliberately defining it down. Defining things down is a phrase once used by Daniel Patrick Moynihan with regard to deviancy. What he suggested is that as a society... What we're constantly doing in order to excuse our own sin is we define sin down, meaning things that used to be considered sinful and deviant are no longer sinful and deviant. He used the example of single motherhood. He said that when you define single motherhood as, quote unquote, the new normal, it's no longer deviant. It's now normalized and you get more of it. Well, the left is defining white supremacy down in a different way. What they're doing is they're saying everything is white supremacy. So what do you get? What you actually end up getting more of is people labeling each other white supremacists, and that's what the left wants. Okay, so now to AOC's thread. So AOC tweets this out yesterday. Quote, there is a difference between white supremacists and white supremacy. Okay, first of all, when she says this, what she's actually attempting to do now is take the definition of white supremacy and broaden it out to include a bunch of people who are not members of the alt-right, who don't write manifestos about Hitler, who don't go and shoot up El Paso, Walmart, who, who who are out there. Right? They, they suffer from white supremacy. As you'll see, wait until she broadens this definition because it's so broad that it encompasses, it can encompass, it can be shaped to encompass nearly anything. So she says there's a difference between white supremacists and white supremacy. So first move in this, in this broadening of the definition, you can't say you're not a white supremacist just because you're not a white supremacist. Maybe you are, maybe you suffer from white supremacy and you just don't know it. She says white supremacy is like a virus. Okay, still no definition, but it's like a virus, meaning that it infects people. It jumps from person to person Without them knowing it, because you don't know if you're sick. She says supremacists are those who have been completely overcome by the disease. But supremacy, the virus, exists on a larger scale beyond just the infected. It also lays dormant. So, just to be clear, the virus, go back to the prior tree for a second. The virus, the virus exists on a larger scale beyond white supremacists and also can lie dormant. So, you can never have exhibited any symptom of white supremacy, but still, you can suffer from white supremacy. You can be a carrier of white supremacy. So now, you don't have to be an overt racist, a covert racist, a person who knows they're racist, a person who has ever evidenced any symptom of white supremacy. And still, you can be an agent of white supremacy because it's lying dormant in you. Okay, so lo- look how this is blown up from small group of white supremacists and alt writers who are dangerous to anyone at any time who could suffer from this thing that's a virus called white supremacy. Again, white supremacy exists. It has a specific definition. It is deeply evil. I'm fighting these people on a daily basis. I know it. They've threatened my family. But AOC is deliberately attempting to make this move. And it's a a dangerous move for the country. So AOC continues with this thread. And she suggests white supremacy is often subconscious. So it's not even conscious. You don't even know if you're a white supremacist or if you suffer from white supremacy. So you 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 can demonstrate no symptoms. You don't have to know that you're... A member of the white supremacist class? It's subconscious and it's dormant, but you can still suffer from it. Just clearly our nation has not been inoculated. White supremacy is our nation's original sin, the driving logic of slavery, of native genocide, of Jim Crow, of segregation, of mass incarceration, of send her back. Okay, now she's conflating a lot of stuff. Okay, so, yes, white supremacy is the driving logic of slavery and of native genocide. And again, the, the question of native genocide is slightly more complicated. The mistreatment of Native Americans in the United States is horrific and well-known. To call it a full-on genocide, I think, is an overstatement because usually people are talking about lots of Native Americans dying of disease. Ethnic cleansing, you know, a- as far as forcibly moving Native Americans out of areas they were legally entitled to and into reservations, I think, would be probably be a more accurate term. She says of Jim Crow, fair, of segregation, fair, and then she says of mass incarceration. And this is where she brings slavery all the way up to date. And she says that if you are in favor of harsh policing of crime and lots of people who commit crime go to jail and they are disproportionately of color, then you are a white supremacist, right? So she's, and she's def- again, broadening out that definition. She's still not defined white supremacy, right? We're, we're, we're two, what, three tweets in here, two tweets in, and she's still not defined the term she's talking about. She's just giving you symptoms of the term. She says, it never went away. It was just dormant. Okay, so it was It was dormant. It never went away. So again, a bunch of people who didn't side with any of the stuff that she likes, uh, that she's talking about here, those people could have been carriers. And then she continues. Again, this is broadening and broadening until it means nothing. Healing ourselves of white supremacy will be hard. Normally, when you diagnose someone with a disease, you have to define the disease. What does the disease do? How is it treated? What exactly can you expect its development course to be? If you're a doctor and you just say, you know what? You suffer from cancer. And somebody says, what is cancer? And the doctor goes, I don't know. It was dormant for a while. Now it's here. It's bad. Not helpful. And if you say that you can't tell what is cancer and what isn't cancer, then you're a horrible doctor. So she's a horrible doctor. She says, healing ourselves of white supremacy will be hard. It will be hard because it requires us to confront ourselves. We wish it was as simple as denouncing a white hood, a burnt cross, vile language. But we need to address where supremacy begins, not just where it ends. And this is the sort of language that the left loves because she's never defining where it begins. And she's saying that if you stand up and you say the KKK is evil and you say that vile language is bad and you say that some of the president's comments cross the line. And when you if you stand up, to, if you say white supremacists are garbage, if you say all of that stuff, that still doesn't mean you're not a white supremacist because you haven't addressed where white supremacy began. Now, does she define where white supremacy begins? Again, she keeps begging the question, where does this begin? What is the definition? This would be important, again, if you're going to diagnose the transmission of a virus and you're going to explain how to prevent the virus. Shouldn't you do that at some point? She continues. We need to address where supremacy begins. She says, perhaps, she says, perhaps more than the obvious last steps of the supremacist, we must examine the nuance of their first steps. Again, she's not actually explaining what the first steps are. She's not explaining what the first steps are. Because what she wants to say is that being the first step means being conservative or Republican. That's what she wants out of this. In the end, the place that she doesn't actually say out loud, but where she wants to go is that if you are against affirmative action, if you believe in, if you're against criminal criminal justice reform, for example, if you believe that police forces across the nation are not systemically racist, if you believe that America's legal institutions are not institutionally racist, that the legacy of racism and slavery obviously has after effects because history always has after effects into the present, but that America is under its current legal regime the fairest nation in the history of the world with regard to race. That if you believe all of that, those are the first steps, right? Because she never labels what the first steps are. She just says what the last steps are. Which means that you could right now, without knowing it, be on the slippery slope to white supremacy. You could. It could be dormant in you. It could be subconscious. You might not even recognize what you think about things. And you could be on that slippery slope all the way down into white supremacy. Now, Tucker Carlson is getting a lot of flack for saying that white supremacism isn't a problem in the United States. On my radio show yesterday, I criticized him for it. I think that he is absolutely wrong. White supremacism is, of course, a problem in the United States. And Tucker was trying to make the statistical case that there aren't that many white supremacists in the United States. And that is statistically true. But there, statistically speaking, there weren't that many ISIS members in the United States. That was a problem. White supremacism is, in fact, a problem. But what AOC is doing here, by suggesting that white supremacy is everywhere, is just as much of a problem... Because instead of underplaying it, she's now suggesting that what? 60, 70, 80, 300 million Americans are secret white supremacists and don't even know it. She says, recognizing white supremacy in ourselves, our institution, our subconscious, our own past remarks or acts, no matter how consciously unintentional. I don't know what consciously unintentional means. is what makes the healing work ahead challenging, but it is not impossible. And confronting it is the only way to move forward. Again, what she is doing is now setting herself up as the arbiter of what white supremacy is without defining it, which is the mark of arbitrary judgment. It is the mark of a bad politician, and frankly, the mark of a bad person morally. If a person says, I have a moral standard, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll tell you when you violated it. That, that person should not be your moral standard, obviously, because they are not trustworthy. And this is what is undermining trust in the moral standard. It's why the right looks at the left and says, okay, you guys are ripping on racism all the time. We're fine with that, but... Um, How about that Al Sharpton guy that you were praising like a week ago? You were were talking about bigotry and how bigotry is bad. And AOC is taking magazine covers with Ilhan Omar and sponsoring legislation with her. No, you don't get to be the arbiter because your standard is not only unclear, it is cynically defined in order to put people who you don't like outside the box and keep yourself in. AOC concludes with this, this, this clever and yet dangerous tweet thread. She says, what this moment is asking of us is to discuss white supremacy and racism as much or possibly more than white supremacists and racists. When we do that, I believe we'll start to make progress. Well, actually, if we do it in the way that she's talking about, it will be the opposite of progress because this is just excuse-making for her calling everybody she doesn't like a racist. And this is, that, that's all this is. When you boil all this down, what this means is that she's given no definition of white supremacy. She's given no definition of those first steps toward white supremacy. She's just going to sit there and on a case-by-case basis tell you that you're the problem. Because I don't see her doing it. It's so funny. She talks here about ourselves, self-examination. When was the last time you heard AOC talk about her own self-examination of her own inherent bigotry? Ever? Of course not. She means you. She says, it is incredibly important we recognize that perfectly normal, good people are capable of aiding racism and white supremacy. So you're a good person and you're normal, but you're still aiding racism and white supremacy. This brings you full, soul, first full circle to the soul cycle Equinox nonsense, which is recognizing that it is not about pillorying people. Yeah, I'm sure. It's about learning to recognize the virus and end an oppressive system designed to hurt us all. Yeah, sure, lady. I, I'm sure that this is not about pillorying people. I'm sure that you will never act in bad faith and simply call your political opponents like Nancy Pelosi, racists, just because it serves your political ends. I'm sure that you will engage in deep self-reflection today about your own bigotry and helping out Ilhan Omar, I'm sure. This, this kind of trash, this is what's going to, again, condemning white supremacy is fully, not only inbounds, praiseworthy, but you got to define the term. And the left is deliberately undefining the term so they can then apply it to everybody on a broad scale. And that is, it's so wrong. It is incredibly wrong. It is labeling tens of millions of Americans who oppose white supremacy, white supremacists. But of course, that is the political goal for the radical left. Now, speaking of radicalism, We're going to get to CNN's town hall on gun control in just a second. But first, you have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription. For $99 a year, you can get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. The annual subscription comes along with the leftist tears, hot or cold Tumblr, as I always point out, leftist tears, not liberal tears, lots of good liberals, leftist tears, which we are happy to gather because they are censorious and nasty. By the way, we saw yesterday that Media Matters had put together a seven-month compilation of some of the other hosts here at Daily Wire, and- they'd been watching the shows. And so my question was, I hope they enjoyed their Leftist Tears tumbler, because presumably in order to watch all of the shows in their completion, they actually had to subscribe. So I hope they're enjoying that. They, they cry into the tears, drink them, and then use them as fuel to power themselves to watch more of our shows. So well done over there at Media Matters. What horrible people they are. Alrighty, if you want to watch, listen, you want to be part of the mailbag tomorrow, you should subscribe. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. <laughs> So speaking of radicalism, last night, CNN does another one of these CNN town halls and the NRA didn't participate because why would they? Last time there was a CNN town hall on guns, it was the Parkland town hall. Dana Lash was brought forth so that people could shower her in rotten tomatoes. And Marco Rubio was brought forth so that members of the audience could suggest that he had committed a mass shooting. Well, Chris Cuomo, the stupider of the Cuomo brothers, he decided that he was going to host this thing. And Chris Cuomo knows less than nothing about guns. I mean, he really knows nothing. Normally, when you have somebody moderate a town hall on a topic, they should know a thing about the thing they are talking about. But that is not a prerequisite of having a job at CNN. How do I know this? Because Chris Cuomo tweeted out this morning about the Second Amendment. And he's been tweeting this kind of stuff incessantly. It's just ridiculous. 24. Chris Cuomo tweeted out, Do you remember what the Second Amendment was created for? That there was no individual right contemplated until Scalia read it in? If you are an originalist about the Constitution, you have no basis for thinking you and not the state controls access to guns. This is patently insane, it's ignorant, it's ridiculous. It would be almost funny, except for the fact that Chris Cuomo was hosting a town hall on this particular topic yesterday. You, does he really think that Justice Antonin Scalia in 2008 in the Heller versus D.C. case established an individual right to keep and bear arms? Is that what he thinks? Where has he been for the last couple of hundred years? Dolt? The actual wording of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay, That last part is what we call the operative clause. All the rest is prefatory. Okay, the right of the people, not the right of the state, not the right of the militia, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The people were the militia. I mean, you, you have to be so historically ignorant to believe what he's saying in that tweet. A militia was comprised of people who got together and then formed the militia. They kept the guns at their houses. You didn't have to be a member of the militia in order to own a gun. But because a militia was important, you needed to have people who own guns. So from that population, you could call a militia. The Second Amendment was written specifically at the behest of the anti-federalists who opposed the Constitution and who are guaranteed, they were pushing for a guarantee that the federal government would not regulate the ownership of guns. Anyone who has spent five minutes studying this topic knows that except for John Paul Stevens, who wished to to reach a different conclusion because he was driven by his outcome, which was that he wanted gun regulation. Anyway, Chris Cuomo hosts this dumb CNN town hall. The NRA doesn't show up, and then Chris Cuomo rips them for not showing up. So if you don't show up to his party where he's going to poop on your head, then you're a very bad and stupid person, according to Chris Cuomo. We also invited the National Rifle Association, the NRA, to be part of tonight's conversation. They declined. They sent a totally disingenuous statement that they're open to honest discussion, but not this spectacle. That's what you call this, a spectacle? I guess they want to do their talking with propaganda ads and millions in lobbying. Okay. Besides, y- let's be honest. Yes, gun lobby, yes, yes, that. yes, you, you, yes you, you fool. Yes, this is a spectacle. Of course it's a spectacle. What have you ever done on gun control? Are you a legislator? Were you elected? Of course it's a spectacle. We all know it's a spectacle. The NRA's got some internal problems right now. They're not wrong about this. This obviously is true. This is a spectacle. He said, like, I love that he goes, they wouldn't show up calling this a spectacle. Well, that's fine because they're just a bunch of paid lobbyists anyway and they're, they're starting to obstruct the issue. Okay, so you just, you, you moron, you just proved their point. Their whole point is that you were going to be a politically driven actor and you were going to go after anyone who's pro-Second Amendment. And then when you read their, their statement, you proceed to do just that. I can't imagine why the NRA didn't show up to, to hear the dumber Cuomo brother, the Fredo of the, of the Cuomo family. Expl- He's very smart. He's smart. Explain why it, <laughs> why it is that the NRA didn't show up. Unreal, unreal. Okay, so as I say, it's, it's this sort of crazy polarizing extremism, the attacks on people who like the Second Amendment, the deliberate, the deliberate obfuscation of the issues, all of this kind of stuff. That leads Trump to get elected in 2016. So Trump has to hope that that's what Democrats do in 2020. Or alternatively, he could change his behavior. Well, this is the part where I say Trump is not going to change his behavior because Trump isn't going to change his behavior. So he visited Dayton and El Paso yesterday, and that was fine. And he kept it pretty much on the down low, which is how it should be. Okay, this is not a photo op. Then he proceeded to release a bunch of photos of himself in Dayton and in El Paso when he could have just quietly done it. I remember George W. Bush quietly going to Iraq, for example. George W. Bush used to quietly go to Walter Reed. It was very nice. Obama never used to do this, and I used to criticize Obama for it. Then Dan Scavino, the press, the comms leader over at the White House, he tweeted out, President Trump with the incredible medical staff at Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton, Ohio today. Some extremely powerful moments throughout the entire visit with so much enthusiasm and love, contrary to what the Trump-hating Dems would ever share or say. And then he followed that one up by calling the president a rock star. He said the President Trump is a rock star for going here and was treated like a rock star. Is that really your pitch? Like you went to a place where people just got shot in a mass shooting and they all loved seeing their great president because he's like a rock star? I'm sorry, the the appeals to Trump's ego are not going to help him. They're not going to help him win re-election. It's also not going to help him win re-election when the president heading out to El Paso and Dayton decides to tweet out about how Beto has a phony name and Beto is the worst and tweets out about Sherrod Brown. He talks about how his hospital visit was totally misrepresented. It underscores a feeling that a lot of Americans have, which is that the president is actually a petty man and that the president lacks moral fiber. This is why I say that if the Democrats could just act sane, they'd be in pretty good shape for 2020. If, however, they decide that they are the party of boycotting Equinox and leading CNN town halls where they rip into gun rights, and that everybody who opposes them is a white supremacist, then Trump will win re-election. Now, Joe Biden gave a speech yesterday. Joe Biden is seen by most Democrats as the most electable Democrat. The reason is because of the speech he gave yesterday. Now, the speech deliberately misrepresented a lot of the comments that Trump has made on a variety of topics. So for example, Biden said in his speech yesterday that Trump hadn't condemned the KKK. Now, back in 2016, Trump did appear on CNN and pretended he didn't know what the KKK was. He then condemned the KKK. As it turns out, he has condemned the KKK many, many times. I mean, here's a a full-on compilation of President Trump condemning the KKK because Trump has done it a lot, as it turns out. Biden, do you believe the president really supports the Ku Klux Klan? He doesn't deny them at a minimum. So I totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. When you say the party is self-destructing, what do you see as the biggest problem with the Reform Party right now? Well, you've got David Duke just joined, a bigot, a racist a problem. I mean, this is not exactly the people you want in your party. Are you prepared right now to make a clear and unequivocal statement renouncing the support of all white supremacists? Of course I am. Of course I am. Okay. So again, he has done this over and over and over and over and over again. So that's just not true. In any case, Biden is launching an attack on Trump's character. And that is sort of, it's sort of the the same campaign that George W. Bush ran against Bill Clinton in 2000. So in 2000, George W. Bush was running on the back of a policy successful presidency with a president who was deeply unpopular on the basis of character. So he's popular overall, but on character questions, people thought that Clinton was a bleep show because he was a bleep show, right? So W ran against that. He said he was gonna bring honor back to the Oval Office. It was such a damaging attack that Al Gore had to forcibly move himself away from Bill Clinton. He refused to campaign even with Bill Clinton, and then he proceeds to lose a very narrow election. He wins the popular vote, but loses the electoral college. So now Joe Biden is trying to run 2000 in reverse. He's trying to say that, sure, President Trump, Maybe there are some good policies, although he'll never admit it. Maybe there are some good policies, but his character is the real problem. And Joe Biden has some veins to mine here, right? I mean, the fact is the president does have a lot of character shortcomings. The president cannot control himself on Twitter. The president says bad things on a fairly regular basis. And so while it is true that Joe Biden is deliberately misconstruing a lot of the stuff that Trump has said and doing so in dishonest fashion, it is also true that politically speaking, what he's doing here is a lot smarter than the other Democrats. The other Democrats are suggesting that Joe Biden was a racist for signing on to the criminal justice bill in 1994 and that mass incarceration is inherently racist and all of this kind of stuff, ripping on Barack Obama, suggesting that everybody who disagrees with them is a white supremacist and Biden is focusing in just on Trump, right? Regardless of whether you think that he's lying about Trump, and I think some of what he says here is a lie about Trump, regardless of whether you think that, the pitch that he is making is the strongest political pitch. So this is clip eight talking about how this is a battle for the soul of our nation. This is him making the George W. Bush circa 2000 appeal about how we need to restore some sense of honor and dignity to the, like the fact that Joe Biden is the person the Democrats have chosen for this is fairly insane. I mean, Uncle Joe has a lot in his closet. Uncle Joe says some dumb nonsense. He said some pretty borderline stuff himself, but it it is the strongest pitch the Democrats are making. When he said after Charlottesville... There were, and I quote, very fine people on both sides. I said at the time, we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. I said it again when I announced my candidacy. And I say it here today. We are in a battle for the soul of this nation. Okay, but what Biden didn't do, right? Okay, so what Biden didn't do there, and this is the part about what he's doing in SMART, is he didn't rip everybody on the right side of the aisle as complicit in what he termed to be Trump's attacks on the soul of the nation. And that's where he's going to have to stay. Because if he moves into Cory Booker territory, where you're either voting for Joe Biden or you're evil, people will say, go take a hike. Nobody's interested. If he moves into the AOC realm of everybody is a vaguely defined white supremacist except for me, then he's going to be in serious trouble. And this is why Joe Biden, I think Democrats innately understand this, Unfortunately for for Trump and for Republicans, I think Democrats understand that he is the most electable Democrat. This is why the new Iowa Democratic Caucus poll shows 28% for Joe Biden, 19% for Elizabeth Warren, 11% for Kamala Harris, 9% for Bernie Sanders. So again, is is he being honest about everything that Trump has said? No, he's not being honest about everything that, that Trump has said. The very fine people on both sides comment was specifically referring to the Friday night rally Trump explicitly said in that same speech that he condemned neo-Nazism and that he condemned white supremacists. And then he made up in his head some weird group of people who were marching with the marchers who, for some reason, were good people, but they were there at the Unite the Right rally, which was absurd and gross and ridiculous and morally reprehensible. But carrying that to the extent that Trump was saying white supremacists are good people is, of course, not true. Right. Of course, that is not correct. With that said, the character attack that Biden is making on Trump is the attack that is most likely to work on Trump, which is why he's the most successful Democrat at the moment and why if Democrats continue to move down the radical path, Trump will be reelected. If they nominate Joe Biden, much better shot that Joe Biden ends up president than any of the other Democrats who are on that stage right now. Okay, time for some things I like, and then perhaps we will do a thing I hate. So things that I like today. There's a new poll. It shows that half of young people say that college is not necessary, that it's too expensive and no longer necessary. To which I say, good, it's about time. It's about time. There's an article from Market Watch. They say that there's a study surveyed over 3,000 U.S. teens and adults, including approximately 1,000 Generation Z, 1,000 young millennials and 1,000 parents. About one in five Generation Z and young millennials say they may choose not to go to college. Many others see a less conventional path through education as a good idea. Over 30% of Generation Z and 18% of young millennials said they have considered taking a gap year between high school and college. What's more, 89% of Generation Z, along with nearly 79% of young millennials, have considered an education path that looks different from a four-year degree directly out of high school. Well, I certainly hope that's the case because there is no greater scam in America today than a liberal arts education at a $100,000 a year college. That is a massive scam. It is one thing to go to college, as I've said before, in order to learn a skill set. But if you're going to college just so that you can be indoctrinated in gender studies and you're going to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars for the privilege, you're making a big mistake. You can get those same online courses at an extension school for 50 bucks a credit. And you'll learn just as little. So th- this, is, this is really, it, it's a good thing. I think young people are beginning to see the scam for what it is. Hopefully employers start to see the scam for what it is here at The Daily Wire. We actually do not look an educational background when assessing whether or not somebody should be hired. That's because my business partner, Jeremy Boring, didn't go to college. He went to like a music school for a year and a half and then dropped out. And so when people have brought him job descriptions to be put in the classifieds, he has taken out, like literally crossed out the educational requirements because he says, listen, I'm the COO of the company and I didn't go to college. So how can I require anybody who wants to work here to go to college? How about they show a skill set and then they can work here? This seems to me much more reasonable. I think most employers should imitate that. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. So President Trump, for some god-awful reason, says he is now going to consider commutation for Rod Blagojevich. I have no idea why. This makes no sense at all. I understand he may remember Rod Blagojevich from when they were on The Apprentice together because everything is so stupid. But why in the world would you commute the sentence of Rod Blagojevich, one of the more corrupt Illinois politicians in the recent past, he's currently serving a 14-year prison term on multiple federal corruption convictions. Trump suggested more than a year ago he was considering a commutation for Blagojevich, who then filed paperwork requesting a commutation. And then Wednesday night, he told the press corps that he thought Blagojevich had been treated, quote, unbelievably unfairly. He said that he was taking into consideration Blagojevich's wife and children and what was, in his view, mere braggadocio. Blagojevich, of course, has been in prison since 2012. Why? 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 Is there a purpose to this? Is Blagojevich actually innocent? I haven't seen a lot of accusations to that to that effect. This sort of bizarre behavior again. Trump does not have to make a headline every day. It's a source of consistent irritation to the general public. It's a source of consistent irritation to many members of his own staff. The the bizarre notion that Trump has to make a headline every day to drive the news cycle. Why don't you just let the Dems be in the news cycle for a day? You know, calling everybody white supremacists and boycotting Equinox. How about that? How about Rob Lagoevich? I mean, the clip, by the way, the clips of Trump chiding Rob Lagoevich on The Apprentice about not doing his proper research on Harry Potter are pretty golden. They do exist. They're, 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 really, they're really quite amazing. And I'm glad that our country is now being run in such a way that if you were once an, a, a, a contestant on The Apprentice, or if you cut a really hot R&B album, Or if you are a rapper who is fond of Kim Kardashian, that we will work our asses off to make sure that you get out of prison in Sweden. Very, very important stuff. Really important stuff. All right, we'll be back here later today for two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer, Jeremy Boring, senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Klavan, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Left-wing hate site Media Matters launches an attack on The Daily Wire. We'll crush them, see them driven before us, and hear the lamentations of their women on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Cleveland. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free...